0: You have been listening to Sermon Audio from Day 3 Church. We invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For more information, visit day3church.com.
1: Good morning. Uh, you may not think it's a good morning after I tell you what our topic is today. But uh, anyway, uh, we're doing this series called Five Lies of the Devil, uh, reason for that is that the Bible, among many titles that Satan has given, calls him a liar. So if he's a liar, that means he has a goal to try and communicate untruth into our lives. And the thing that's so difficult about it is that many times when Satan is whispering things into our ears, it might sound like it's good. Sometimes it can even sound like it's biblical what he said. And you might think, well, I think maybe I've heard that in, in the Bible. And that's why we're pointing out to you some of the things that maybe you have heard and maybe even depended on and adopted in your life could actually be a falsehood that Satan has kind of planted in your mind for a reason. We uh, so far have talked about these lies. Lie number one was this God will never put on you more than you can handle. Now that sounds good, it sounds almost like, yeah, that's logical, I'd like to build my life around that. The problem with it is, it isn't true, guys, because many times, just read your Bible, you'll see it again and again and again, many times God allows us to go through more than we can handle on purpose because He wants us to quit trusting in ourselves and trust in Him. Many of you have gone through some stuff over the last few years that taught you, you can't trust in yourself. And there's stuff that you can't handle, but you found out that he can. So that's why it's a lie for you to think, well, I can handle anything coming down the pipe because you can't. God will intentionally put on you things that you can't handle, so you'll learn to trust in him more. The lie last week was this. Daryl and Adam, before Adam had to leave out, uh, dealt with this topic. God cannot use you. And that is a lie that Satan would love for you to believe because he wants to keep you discouraged, beaten up, and think that you're so flawed. God doesn't want to use you in some way. Well, I've got news for you. According to what I read in the Bible, God loves taking flawed people, putting them back together again, and using them for his glory. Matter of fact, when that happens, that's when the world scratches its head and thinks, how did, you know, how did God use that person? You know, if it's someone that their life is together, we think, well, sure, God used that person. But if it's someone that has really messed up and God uses them, then it kind of gets the world's attention. So it's a lie if Satan tries to tell you God can't use you because he can use you. The lie today that we're dealing with is this. Day 3 church, or any church as far as that goes, just wants your money. Day 3 church just wants my money. Have you ever made an illogical jump in your mind from one thing to the other? And the reason I'm talking about that, when I brought that topic up, some of you made an illogical jump. Let me illustrate what a logical jump is. An illogical jump is where you start here and you wind up over here in some extreme place and you can't even figure out kind of how you got there. Here, here's an example of one. You tell your teenager to be home by 10.30 and it is 10.40. And you instantly do this illogical jump Instead of thinking, well, maybe they're just running late because of traffic or whatever else, or because they're a teenager, you You do this illogical jump, where in your mind you say to yourself, they're in jail, they've been kidnapped, you know, someone sold them into slavery, they've been in an accident, they're in a casket or whatever. You do that type of illogical jump. I mean, I've been guilty of that. You as a parent... You you just go there, and you don't really have any reason to go there. Well, you see, a moment ago when I gave you the topic about church wanting your money, and that's a lie that Satan wants you to believe, and here's why Satan wants you to be skeptical of ministries, because if you're skeptical of ministries and do not give to ministries, then he can hinder that ministry from doing everything he's called them to do. So sometimes in your mind, when you hear about giving at church or money at church, you do this illogical jump. And some of you might have done that. You might have thought, oh, they're going to talk about money. That means the pastor is going to talk about faith promise gifts that they're going to give. Or he's going to bring out some prayer cloths that he's anointed with his sweat or snot when he blew his nose. And he's going to sell those. Or he's going to bring out bottles of anointing oil or special holy water and sell those. Or crosses you can hold up to the light and read, you know, a thousand scriptures in or whatever and sell those. Or the pastor's wife's going to come out here in just a minute and she's going to have pink hair or blue hair and, and be crying, crocodile tears and mascara running all over her face to where she looks like she's in the movie Dawn of the Dead, you know, or something like that. And she's going to come out and cry and beg until some old lady gives her life savings away because she's been tricked out of giving her money away. Now, that's the type of a logical jump some people do. When they find out that a church is going to talk some about money or about finances. Well, I want to kind of set you at ease. None of that's going to happen. That's not the purpose of today's message. Really, the main goal is, and I'll come back to this later, the main goal is you and I becoming fully devoted followers of Christ. And guys, that includes our finances also to be a fully devoted follower of Christ. So I want you to understand we're not running some type of scam or scheme this morning trying to get your money. Some of you are thinking, oh, yeah, that's a new church, contemporary church. I bet they've got scanners at the door that scan our wallets in our pocketbooks to find out how much money we have when we come in. Well, well, well listen, guys, be real. It's Granite Falls, okay? <laughs> We're not that technologically advanced yet. We've ordered those things, but I'm, that'll get out in the community. Don't repeat that. So I don't really need those things. My, see, Mike Jacobs, are still my... See, my, Mike takes our offerings up for us, so we don't need scanners. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> and that's a joke, too. Don't go off and tell, tell that, either. But, guys, I, here, I, let, me, let me just set you free from that a little bit, your, your worries and your concern. And, and I might do it in a way that might tick you off a little bit. I don't know. if you think God or this church needs your money, you're crazy. And here's why I say that. This church has been in existence for eight years. We've never been able to afford to do anything God has ever called us to do. We've always had to step out on faith. God conceived this church being planted in this area. God has provided the finances. God will continue to provide the finances. And, you know, it ain't about you thinking I'll be so big that I'll help it out. No, God's the one we trust in, not you, okay? So if you think, you know, that's what we're, we're doing, no, we're not. Matter of fact, guys, here's the deal. If God wanted your money, he could take it, and you could do nothing about it. If God wanted or needed your money, that's not what we're doing. And, and if this is your first Sunday here, I hate it when people come the first Sunday, and it's their first time here, and, and I'm talking with, about tithing, because some people get in their mind, that's all the church wants to talk about. The people that have been around here a long time, you can ask them. We've been in existence almost eight years. I might have talked about tithe, and you could probably count it on both hands in eight years. I probably ought to talk about it more than I, than I do, you know, to be honest with you. I've even asked uh, one of our lay people, Lynn Crump. Lynn and his family have been members of day three since day one. I've asked him to come up and share with you to start with from a kind of a lay leader standpoint. And here's why. Because also, you did an illogical jump in your mind. Some of you did when you heard the message was going to be about money, and you thought, yeah, the pastor wants more money. That's not what it's about. And that's why I want you to hear from a lay person first. So, Lynn, you come and, and share with us.
0: Speaking of illogical jumps, <clears throat> I admit, I do make illogical jumps. Those of you who are parents of teenagers, you understood what he was talking about as far as illogical jumps, and they're a little bit late. One of the illogical jumps I did not make was when I heard about this sermon was that day three we'd be selling rags with snot on them, and I did not, that that one I did not make that illogical jump for. I understood the rest of it. Um, I did want to share with you just a little bit. The pastor called me last week and said, would you like to give a little bit of a testimony on giving? And... I usually enjoy getting up and and talking a lot of topics, especially when it's having to do to share about my kids or share about my family or sharing about playing. To be honest with you, when when he asked me to share about giving, I had a similar response as my daughter had when I said that I was going to share. But what was that response? What was it? (laughs) That was what it was. (laughs) So that was... (laughs) Those are some of the, you know, why, why, is, he, why is he doing it? And, and, and admittedly, I am convicted about giving, and I do give to my church, and I try, try to give beyond that. But to be quite honest with you, it, it, it's a struggle. And it's been a struggle this week because I've been in God's Word specifically about this, and, it's, and it, it, it's been a battle. I'll tell you one of the reasons why it's a battle for me. If you look in, in the Scripture, and, and, I, and I challenge each and every one, if you get into something and, and God is convicting you, or you feel like, should I, should I do this or do that? First place you should go, guys, is to the Bible, to prayer. Don't go outside to the secular world first because they'll guide you down the wrong path. Trust me, I've been there. But when you go, in my opinion, when you go to the Bible and you look about giving, the bad thing is that there's not a real black and white, in my opinion, there's not a black and white formula. There's not something that says, okay, if you make this much, you can take away your your all your deductions, take away your your house, blah, 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 you do this. And when you get down to the end of the thing, you, and here it is. There's how much you should give each and every week. There's not a black and white thing on that. So that was a little bit of a struggle. And the other struggle I have with giving to be quite honest with you, I, I stand in front of you today just as, as open as I can be. It's not my heart. For those of you who know me, you know my passion is play. I had rather than anything else, you know, my, I, I battle every week. I'd rather have a new motorcycle. I'm dig, I I want a new ski boat. I want to lay a ski board. I, you know, I want to go hang and I want to go jump out of an airplane. I, it's just my, God has just passioned me to go out and to play and to play and to play very hard. But if you're passionate like that, what does that require? money and toys. I love toys. <laughs> and then, so now there's always this constant battle with me. If I give to God, I got to sacrifice my toys. As a matter of fact, sometimes I see people in the world and I know they make less money than I do and they got better toys than me. How the heck does that work? So I look at them and I say, I bet they don't tithe. That's how they're, that's how they're doing that. They don't give it now. If I don't give anything to church, if I cut it on back, I bet I ah. That's how I get the toys. I cut back on my giving, and and all of a sudden I start running with that. So I'm just here to tell you that that giving and tithing and all that is, is something that I have really had to. I've had to do two things. I've I've had to listen to God, and the other thing is, I've had to listen to my wife. God has blessed me with a person who has. An amazing heart. She's on the other side. She would give away. If, if I feel like if it not for me, we wouldn't have a house, we wouldn't have food. <laughs> but everybody lives around me would be very happy. <laughs> so she she compliments me on that and she's blessed she, she is she has blessed me and, and guided me and kept me accountable for this thing called giving. So really what I wanted to do today was just again, this I'm just speaking from my heart here and, and telling you kind of what the the as I went through and I tried to decide what it is that that compels me to give. So here are some things. First of all, I am, I am really convinced that God blesses us to bless others. Each and every one of us in here are blessed. And I feel like, trust me, guys, I am blessed beyond measures. But I am 100% convinced that God never, never, ever blesses me or never, ever blesses us so that we can hoard it in for ourselves, so that we can glorify ourselves, so that we can have a blast, so that we can take it in, so that we can enjoy so it, we can do it upon ourselves. I am convinced that God blesses us so that we can bless others. Let's look at uh, just one piece of Scripture here, and this will kind of open it up, I think. This is on the, 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 right at the day of the Pentecost. These are brand new, the first Christians. So <clears throat> Acts 4.32 says, All believers were in one heart and mind. This is a toughie, guys. No one claimed that any possession was his own, but they shared everything they had. (laughs) They shared. Nothing was their own. Everything they had. Again, this was the first Christians, and now I think this is where we should be setting our, our basis. Everything they had was God's. We were stewards for everything. Everything we got, we don't own anything. Everything they had was not their own, but they shared. They shared everything. So think about that for a minute. Is that your heart? Do you really, when you think about, when you see your car, when you see your toys, when you see your house, is that mine? No. They shared. They opened up. They shared everything they had. Now, you may be thinking, okay, I'm, I'm not a blessed person. I'm barely able to make my bills. I don't own a house. I don't own a car. I'm, I'm struggling. <clears throat> Trust me, I, I've had the very fortunate opportunity to go visit a few third world countries. And I am here to tell you that you are if you're living here and you live in America, you are truly blessed. If you're at the bottom, and I mean the bottom of our income level, you are in the top when it comes to the world. When we, when we were in Africa, when we were just getting ready to leave, we had, a, we had a meeting together, and the person who was leading us was actually a person from South Africa. We'd been doing our mission trip in Mozambique, and and he gave us a, a statement that rocked my world. And that was, he looked at us and said, you didn't choose to be born in America. God put you in America. When you look at these other people, they didn't choose to be in Africa. They didn't choose to be that poor. That's, they're, they're part of that circumstance. We are very blessed. I'm telling you, we are very blessed to be in, in America. So don't ever belittle that and don't... Please don't ever go there, no matter where you're at, that you're thinking that you're not blessed and that you're not part of these people. No one claimed that any of the possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. The next thing has to do with obedience. This is a toughie for me because this, this goes strictly into, if you think about this verse, and I think about obedience, I think about this verse, verse. If you love me, you will obey what I command. So, okay. If I love God, I'll obey Him. But in, in the reverse of that, what, does it say? what else does it say? What does it infer? If I don't do what He commands, then obviously I don't love Him. So therefore, that, that enriches my heart and, and my mind and my spirit to say, you better dig in and find out what you need to do, what God is telling you to do. Because if I want to show God that I really do love Him, then I've got to do what He has asked me to do, and I have to be obedient. So as I began to do that, and I'm thinking in my mind, what, what, what do you want me to do, God? <clears throat> I went back to the Old Testament a little bit. And if you go back to the Old Testament, there is a lot of Scripture and there's a lot of law where the, the uh, Israelites, the, the law was that they were to tithe, and I think everyone agrees with that. They would tithe and they were to give that many to the church. Here's one of them. If you look in Numbers, it says, Speak to the Levites, and the Levites were the ministers of the church. So if you speak to the Levites and say to them, when you receive from the Israelites the tithe, therefore that tithe was going to the Levites, was going to the ministers, was going to the church, when you receive that tithe, I give, as you, <clears throat> I give you as your inheritance, you must present a tenth of that tithe. Here you go. There's that word, a tenth of that tithe as the Lord's offering. In other words, he was telling the Levites, I mean, yeah, the Levites who were the ministers of the church, they also had to participate in this tenth thing and giving it back to the church. Wow. So no one else was exempt. No one is exempt. So if you think for some reason that you're exempt from this giving, from this, my opinion, again, from this 10th giving to the church, our pastors, Daryl, Lynn, anybody, they're not any exempt. So no one is, is, is really exempt from this. So then again, I started looking in the New Testament a little bit. Okay, Old Testament, old law, somebody can say, okay, it was only applicable to that situation it's only applicable because that was back, you know, thousands of years ago, whatever. So now let's go look at the New Testament. And there's not, if I look at the New Testament, there is not a distinct, in my opinion, give one, I'm not a theologian, but what I've seen, there's not a black and white rule of what you should give. But there are several verses that talk about it. Now, about the, this is from 1 Corinthians, of course, Paul writing this to the church of Corinth. Now, about the collections of God's people, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day, key point, on the first day, of every week, each of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income. Two important things there on the first day. In my opinion, that tells me that i got to give to God first. So when my income comes in, if I'm writing my house payment, writing my power bill, water bill, paying for my toys, and then I give, oh, okay, I've got this much left, and I hand it to God, that's, that's, not, what he, that's not what he told him to do. <laughs> he told them in a sum of their money, so in a proportion of your income... You need to give me my your first. Not an easy thing. That means I've got to, oh gosh, I gotta put God in front of my toys. I don't want to do that. I've got to put God in front of my house. I gotta put God's givings in front of my family. That's a scary thing. And keeping with him income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will be made. Paul was asking them to be, to be to take care of it. He wasn't there with them at that time. He knew that if they may go aside, so he was telling them, take it your first, do it, I'll be by there to take it, and I'll take it to the church for you, okay? <clears throat> Let's go to the next verse. You know, I begin to wonder <clears throat> a little bit, okay, I-, I thank God, thank you, I think you've got me this 10%. Surely, surely to goodness, you don't want me to sacrifice any more than that. 10% of my income, you know, I, I would hope that's enough. Let's see what, God, what Jesus Christ himself told the Pharisees about their 10%. It says, Woe to you, Pharisees, because you give a tenth, there's that word again, a tenth of your mint rue and other kinds of gardens, herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. I will tell you that word justice, when I studied this week, freaks me out because that, that's another reason why I give. Because quite honestly, I am scared of the justice of God. It freaks me out because I know that I am blessed. But if God giveth, he will take away. If I don't use it wisely, he'll take away what I've got. That freaks me out. Now, whether that's the right motive for giving, I don't know. But I'm telling you, at that, that point freaks me out. And, and I, think, I think it should everybody else because, if you, again, if you're in here and you live in America, you're truly blessed. You may want to be thinking about maybe what's going on with America. And the love of God. Again, there goes that love of God. You should have practiced the latter. You should have you should have focused on the justice and love of God rather than focusing on on your on your former on the tenth. So again, it's, the tenth mayor. I don't my opinion the tenth's not enough. As as I begin to do this, as I begin to, to really ask, think about what, what I'm convicted about as far as giving goes. And again, I'm just sharing with you as openly as I know how. I do know that you have to start with giving. If I don't start with giving, if I do anything else, my nature is I'll go pay the payments. I'll logically, I'll make an illogical jump myself and somehow be able to calculate that I can go buy a new boat. I can go do this and somehow I can manipulate, well, I won't give God quite 5%. I'll just increase my time with church and that's all okay. That all works out. And I start making this theological jump, and it doesn't make sense. In my opinion, you have to. That's why God says, Give me your first. You got to start with giving, and then the rest of it will take place. I also think you should never get in a situation where you can't give. If you financially are getting into a situation, and, and, and again, this doesn't matter if your income's 5000 or $150,000, whatever a year, it doesn't matter. You still can get yourself in a situation where you can't give. And I think that's wrong. There's some other things here, and I just want to bring up in closing. Some other things that really hit me. Again, as I studied this and, and really kind of convict myself, why do I give? Does God need my money? You know, I, believe it or not, I get so bold and so cocky that I think that if I quit giving to day three, day three's gonna shut down. What the heck is up with that? <laughs> God doesn't need my money. Matter of fact, I don't give enough that makes really that much because my income's not there, you know, I'm not substantial putting it there, but. To be bold enough and cocky enough to think that, that, that God needs me. You know, I saw that on the bumper sticker just the other day. The bumper sticker said, Jesus needs you. What's up with Jesus? doesn't need you. Jesus wants you. But I'm, Jesus doesn't need the creator of the world. How, why would he need me? You know, I think God, God allows me to give because that's just part of my blessing. <clears throat> Again, the other thing is you must give God first. I covered that. Again, I just encourage you to make it first. I do believe that 10%, again, I'm not the theologian, and I've spent some time in prayer. What God has convicted me, that 10% is is the number that I should give to church. But again, that is only my starting place. Once I get to there, then that's, to me, I've met, quote my obligation, I don't know if that's the right word, but I've met it from there, that's when I start my givings. I don't think there's any question that God expects you to sacrifice. And that's why this week has really been a struggle, because I've really had to question in my heart, am I sacrificing? Am I sacrificing? Because God expects you to think about it. What did Jesus Christ tell his disciples to do before they followed him? Sell everything you got. I, are you there? I, you know, I pray that God never, you know, I don't, I don't ever be called to be a disciple because I might just sell everything I got. Ooh, that's scary. But that should be our heart. And the last thing I will share this This is my biggest struggle. Let me bring up the next verse. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give. Okay, so I just challenge you. You have to decide within your heart by the time you spend time in prayer, when you spend time in God's word, but not to do it reluctantly, but under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. This is where I struggle this week, guys. I'll be quite honest with you. I, I, I struggle being a cheerful giver. I'm to the, I get to the point sometimes, my wife will write the tie check because I don't see it. Because if I see it, I look at it and go, "Whoa, I could that'd be a new boat payment. That would be whoa. I could use that money." So there's a lot of times I have to, have to remove. And, that's, and again, that's wrong. So I really, I just come to you openly and say I, I request your prayers. Again, it's not my nature. It's not my nature to give, especially when it talks about this money thing, because, again, it's just such a forfeit, so I ask you to do that. My biggest challenge to you is spend some time in prayer and act on what God has convicted you to do.
1: Thank you. That uh, word cheerful actually means hilarious when you look at it in the original. You're supposed to be able to give and actually laugh about it. And, and be that happy about it. Now, you know, some of you that are here the first time, uh, you're probably wondering what's all the Lynn stuff because we had Lynn Crump up here and I'm the lead pastor. My name's Lynn Parsons. Uh, you probably don't want the Lynn and Lynn tag team again you know, because we're talking about money and, uh, and things like that. But uh, I want to point out to you and just stress to you this is not about some type of scam or scheme to get your money, which, by the way, parentheses, is God's money. Because God owns all of it. That's not what this is about. What it is about is you and I are coming to the point that we know we are fully devoted followers of Christ and whatever He's calling us to do, we're willing to do. We were singing in worship the last song, and while you know, I did not tell Lynn what to say, and he's not told me what to say today or anything like that, I did tell Wendy, Wendy, can y'all sing that song, with everything, right before we come up and start the message. And here's why. Because some of you are raising your hands and you're singing with everything, with everything, and then you hear about the topic, with, with everything, but, but, but not that. <laughs> yeah, with that God, I'm your, with that, but. but. And, and you see, if we're going to be a fully devoted follower of Christ, it has to include our finances also. And that's what this is about. And you'll see in just a moment, it's actually about uh, us wanting to try and get uh, some of us some help. Uh, and like I said a moment ago, God, if God wanted, if you've got that God just wants my money, God's wanting to take it. Listen, if God wanted to take your money, he could take it. There's not anything you or the Federal Reserve could do about it. If God actually wanted to take your money, but guys, you, you've got to understand something. God's not looking down like this. God isn't saying, "Hey, hey, 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 uh, you, you got a twenty? Can you can you hook me up to payday?" I mean, if you if you do, I'll pay you back. I'll pay you back twenty five. You hook, hook me up to payday. God's not doing that. And one more thing before I kind of jump into three questions that I'm going to ask, and by the way, I'm going to be in uh, 2 Kings chapter 4, uh, verse 1 through 7, so if you want to find your place there in the Bible uh, to follow along, we'll get there in just a moment. But but here's kind of a, a free, I guess, side message that I really feel like I need to give out as we talk about money. You need to understand something. No matter how little or no matter how much somebody gives, the vision of God's Uh, the vision that God has for this church is not up for sale. Do you understand what I'm saying? In other words, if someone were to come to me and say, I'll give you a million dollars if you will change what you're doing and do it the way I want you to do it, I'm telling you something, it is God's church. God conceived it in our hearts to start this church, and I don't care how many million dollars somebody might want to show up and say, I'll give it to you if you'll change something. The vision of this church is not up for sale. Now, you're saying, oh, he just said that. You know, he, he wouldn't really do that. I, I've done it before, have. I had somebody come see me one time. They didn't like something we were getting ready to do. There was not anything wrong with what we were getting ready to do, but they didn't like it. They hadn't been tithing, and then they got this new job, and all of a sudden they could tithe. So they show up, and in the same breath of saying, I wish you wouldn't do that, they wanted to let me know now they can tithe. <laughs> same breath. And it was someone I was close to, and I cried with him and everything else. But I said, listen, you need to understand something. God called us to do this. We're going to do it whether you or anybody else likes it. That's what we have to do, guys. I, I can't follow anybody's heart but God's. That needs to be what this church chases after, and that is God's vision for this church. And that vision is not up for sale. Now, having said that, I want us to look at three questions this morning. We're going to look at these verses, read these verses as we go. And as we look at these questions, I want you to understand, I know the title of the message is, uh, you know, Day 3 Church or The Church Just Wants My Money. I want to turn it around because it really needs to be about you and your relationship to God. It doesn't have anything to do with this church wanting your money. Here's question number one. Question number one is simply this. Am I spending out of control financially? Now, I'll tell you up front, this is going to be a little bit of a different kind of message, but it, it's stuff that I think everybody here really needs. And I want to stress something. All of you, you know, young people, especially you that are young, even, you know, teenagers in high school or college students, if you will listen, you need to really listen to what I'm going to say because you can save yourself some serious mistakes that people like me have made. I'll be transparent with you guys. I've used credit cards more than I should have in my life and, and had more debt than I should have in my life, and it has affected me. I, I'll tell you this also. I have always, the best of my ability, tried to tithe because I, I, I don't think I can afford not to, to be honest with you. People say, well, I can't afford to. Hey, I, I don't think I can afford not to. Because God's the one that's in control of stuff, guys. He's the one that blesses us and can withhold the blessing, kind of like Lynn was talking about. But no matter how young you are, I would love to have teenagers come to a class that I'm going to tell you more about in a moment that we're going to offer. Because if you can get it right early on, then it will free you up to do and be everything that God wants you to do. Some, some of you guys especially, you, you think, well, in order to be cool, you need to spend all your money on a car so the girls will look at you. You know, if you've got the right car or the right toys that Lynn was talking about or dressing the right way, then some girl's going to think you're sexy looking and want to go out with you. Can I tell you something that will really be sexy for a lady? And that is if she comes up to you and you're in your late teens or early college student and they say, hey, what you're doing? And you say, hey, I'm saving money for my grandkids college fund. I want to tell you- something to a real woman that's going to be a sexy thing to her and you're going to think oh she's just a gold digger just wants money no she don't want to be stuck with your broke butt later on that's what it is (laughs) and and it can be a very good thing for you as a young guy to be planning that far ahead i wish i could have said that i'd done that but really are, are you spinning out of control financially We're going to look at a story about a a lady here in the Old Testament. And she went to see one of the prophets, a very popular prophet by the name of Elisha. And what had happened Her husband had died, and her husband evidently had kind of participated in the school of the prophets, so he was really close to Elisha, but he had some major financial problems, and he dies, and he's left this load of debt behind for his family, and now a creditor is on the way to take his children and make them his slaves. That's what the Bible's talking about. It said the wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elijah, your servant, my husband is dead. And you know that he revered the Lord. In other words, he really loved God. And, and, but he really loved God. And he, he got himself in trouble, left us in trouble. And she goes to Elijah and she said, now you need to do something about it. Guys, a lot of times the people expect that from the church. They, they think the church can fix everything in their financial issues and the problems that they have. And sometimes you brought it on yourself and God doesn't call the church to fix everything for you. To be able to take care of every issue and every problem that, that you have like that. But that's kind of what she's saying. She's coming and saying, look, my husband didn't plan well. My husband left us in a ton of debt. And now they're going to come and take our sons and turn them into slaves. In that day and time, that could happen. In that day and time, if you were to be underneath a debt to someone and you are not paying it, they could come and take you or some of your family members and turn you into slaves and use that to work the dead off. That's what could have happened in that day and time. So it's like she's coming to the prophet, to Elisha, and and saying, listen, you know he loved the Lord and everything. He hung around you, Elisha, and everything like that. And uh, and here we're in this trouble, and and we need some help with it. They were going to become slaves. Now, I'm going to say something, and and I want to qualify it up front, that what I'm about to say is not a political statement because somebody will go wildfire on me and go out from here and say, oh, he was talking politics. If I'm talking politics right now, I'm talking to any party that's ever been in charge. Guys, if our nation, the leaders of our nation, and we adults who can hopefully try and influence things, if we don't do something about the national debt and about the spending of our government, we're going to leave behind our children as slaves to our debts. And I'm afraid it's almost so bad we can't do anything about it. I was talking with Bill at Walmart this week when I bumped into him. Bill says, probably we're already there. (laughs) That's not a political statement, guys. I'm just telling you. Listen, if you're expected to live on a budget, our government ought to have to live on a budget and not just print new money whenever they want money or borrow it from a good friend, a good buddy like China. That is not a political statement. I'm just telling you the truth. If we don't wake up and do something about it, our children are going to be left slaves all of their lives to the debt that our nation has accrued. About a month ago, Fox News, and someone goes, oh, he's listening to Fox News, so that means he's a conservative. All right, you found me out. Yes, I am. (laughs) I was listening to Fox News, and Fox News said this. The debt in America is so large right now, every penny that's saved in every bank account in America, plus all the corporations, if we were to sell all the corporations for what they're worth, we still cannot raise enough money to pay off our national debt. In other words, right now, we owe more than the whole nation is worth. And if we sold everything lock, stock, and barrel, we couldn't pay off our national debt. Guys, that is a scary situation. And we as adults ought to stand up and tell our politicians what we think about it because we are going to leave our children slaves to debt. This same scenario that we see here if we're not careful. She comes to him and lets him know, well... You know that he loved the Lord and everything, and, 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 and I just think you need to do something to help us. See, I think that's the way we do with God. We'll get ourselves in financial trouble, and then we'll come to God, and we'll tell God, God, you, you know, we love you, but you, now you've got to do something to get us out of this. And you know what I think God says sometimes? I don't recall telling you to go take out 10 credit cards and max them out. I don't recall telling you to buy a car that you couldn't afford to start with or take a vacation that you couldn't afford to start with. And yet we try and act like God ought to fix all of our problems. This man left his family in a very, very bad situation. He died and he left them stranded financially. And here's a message for some of the guys here and probably some of the women too because I tell you the way the workforce is today, it really goes both ways. See, some of you are in danger of leaving your family the same way because you don't have any life insurance. And some will be thinking, oh, but I can't afford life insurance. Can I give you a radical idea? Give up your goth game and take care of your family. No, your family will be taken care of. Give up whatever hobby it is you're investing money into. That would be plenty, enough money a month for you to buy into a life insurance policy that could help protect your children and your wife if you were to be dead and gone. How about doing that? And crying out loud, you know, some, some people say, well, I can't afford to do this. I can't afford to do something like insurance. And yet they can afford to buy cigarettes or booze or whatever the case might be. How about giving some of that stuff up and using your money for what it ought to be used for to be sure your family can be financially secure? I, I'm, I'm sorry, guys, I'm not trying to make someone feel bad. You know, if, if you're smoking, you ought to ask God to help you get rid of that. I'm just telling you up front because it is destroying the temple just like overeating can destroy the temple and a lot of other things. I'll just be fair across the board. We need not to be destroying the temple. God wants our lives here as long as possible to use us, and we don't need to short-circuit His plan for using our lives. But what drives me crazy is for people to come into this office and they're wanting to have financial help and everything, they can afford to buy their cigarettes, but they're wanting us to go buy the groceries. I'm sorry, I've got a problem with that. I, I kind of like, well, quit buying your cigarettes. Go buy something for your family to eat. You know, quit investing in your hobby. If you can afford to buy life insurance, be sure that you can take care of your family and leave your family secure. Well, how can we evaluate this? What are some ways that some little tips, some hints? Uh, that might let us know if we 're spinning out of control financially, so i 'm just going to give you a few suggestions right here here 's one: running up the credit card debt with no plan to pay it off. Paying a minimum amount every month is not a plan to pay it off because it won 't happen guys the, the The average American has seven credit cards the debt the credit card debt alone in America, just the credit card debt is over $1 trillion. Now, now here's the thing with that. Some people don't have a concept of $1 trillion. So let me illustrate it for you a little bit, a concept of $1 trillion, okay? If you took $1,000 bills, I'm not talking about $1,001 bills. I'm talking about bills that are worth $1,000, and you stack them on top of each other, A $1 million would be about four inches thick. A billion dollars would be 36 stories. One trillion dollars would be 68 miles tall. That's what just the credit card debt looks like in America. That's a picture of what a trillion dollar debt looks like in America. And yet we, we fall into that and we'll well, tell, well I only use it in emergencies. And then every time you go to the mall, you have an emergency. <laughs> Guys, you can finance anything in America today. Did you know you could go to a pet store at the mall and you can finance your pet? Did you know that? You can buy a dog and finance it. Have you ever thought about what that might do to the dog's emotional state? He never knows if he never knows if he's gonna be repossessed or not. I mean, if he pees on the carpet, I'm not going to pay the bill this month. (laughs) We we can finance almost anything in America. And if you're doing that, you need to understand something. You're probably spinning out of control financially. Spending more than you make. Now, that will be a pretty good hint that you're out of control financially. Now, somebody's going to say, well, I don't make a lot. I only make about $25,000 a year or something like that. Do you understand $25,000 a year over 40 years, a million dollars pass through your hands? And, you know, we use excuses like that that I, that I just don't make a lot. Oh, and more in your car than it's worth. A lot of people get caught up into that trap just because of the way they do the trade and everything else. But that might be a little indicator for you that, that maybe you shouldn't have traded at that time. God, I want to be transparent. I've been hit with that more than once. Been times I've traded that I shouldn't have. My wife at one time told me she thought it was my goal in life to own one of everything made. I have got better about that one. Here's another one. If you make at least $50,000 a year, but you still feel like you have significant financial pressure on your life, then you are not managing things in a right way. And to some people, you might think, oh, $50,000 is not really that much. Listen, if you make $50,000 a year, you're in the top 1% of wage earners in the world. Look at the way other countries are. The way other countries live. $50,000 a year is a lot of money. And if you are feeling significant financial pressure, you've not managed it the right way. Making financial decisions you hope your spouse doesn't find out about. Oh, that got quiet, didn't it? Dude bought some tree stands for me that I wasn't using anymore a few years ago. I saw him a couple of months later, and he and his wife, were out in the store, and we were talking, and I asked him, how's the new tree stands doing you bought from me? And I could tell instantly she knew nothing about it. Now, I want to tell you something I tell people when, before I marry him up front. There shouldn't be none of this junk, his money, her money, and stuff like that. When you get married, you are married before God, and you ought to throw everything in, and you ought, you ought to communicate with each other, and cooperate with each other, and make the thing work. Not just relationally, financially also. Here's another one. Transferring balances from one credit card to another or paying one credit card with another one. Only exception to that, I might would say, would be this. If you can find a credit card with like 0% interest or very low percent interest and you pay off one with a high interest, that might be okay as long as you will pay the other one off and not let all of a sudden the high interest bounce back in. Those are just some signs, just some indicators for you to consider and ask yourself, maybe I am spinning out of control financially in my life because some of those things are true that we've just looked at. Now, here's the deal with that. What we want to do, guys, is help you with it. We want to help you so you can be all that God wants you to be and be free to do all that God wants you to do. We are getting ready to offer a class that is totally free. Free. I'm going to have Derek Powell to come up. Derek will give you the highlights of it. Derek, step up here uh, real quick. Derek's going to teach this class uh, this Saturday from 9 to 12. He's going to give you a quick advertisement on it. Uh, he has uh, taught some classes for far as before, the Dave Ramsey stuff, the Financial Peace University that takes several weeks to take, but he's got a one, you know, one class he's put together I think will help And I'm going to set you free on that, too, guys, in case someone thinks, oh, if I do that, if I come, they're going to think I messed up. Can I tell you something? I'm going to go to it myself, okay? I'm going to be there. My, my wife and myself are going to be there because we need some of it ourselves. Uh, so, And i want to come back to what I said about young people again. I'd love to see teenagers there. I would. Man, I'd love to see teenagers there because you need to get something started off right. He's got a scenario that he'll talk about in that class of someone, uh, of someone saving $2,000 a year from age 19 to age 26, I think something like that, and never touching it and never doing it again, stopping at age 27, never doing it again, leaving it in there around $2.3 million almost if you could find 12% interest rate. I know that's hard to do today, but it's still the same ratio. He's got another scenario. That he'll talk about where a different guy did not do it from 19 until 26. He started doing it at age 27 and did it until 65, $2,000 a year, and he never catches up to the first guy. He has about $1.5 million. That's why I'm telling you it's important for you as a young person to get this right. It's important for you as a young person to start out on the right track. So I hope you'll listen, and I will have a lot of young people come. And that doesn't mean if you are not young, don't come. That doesn't mean if you think, well, I've already met Messed up don't come because there'll also be help for those of us that have already messed up okay those of us that are needing that type of help here's the deal with that and why we want to offer this type of class look at what proverbs says right here proverbs tells us this the rich rule over the poor and the borrower is servant to the lender here's the deal with that as far as you and i who are christians i shouldn't be a slave to anybody but jesus I should not be a servant to anybody but Jesus, and I don't need to allow my finances or some creditor ruling over me to the degree that I am a slave to someone other than Jesus. And I'm telling you, it can happen. I've experienced it. It will happen. And that's why we want to try and help you with a class like this. Question number two I want to ask you this morning is this. Am I selfish or am I satisfied? Am I selfish or am I satisfied? Look at what's said in verse 2 of our text. Elisha replied to her, how can I help you? I mean, it's like, you know, she is coming and saying, I want you to do something about this. And Elisha's kind of saying, what do you want me to do? And then Elisha tells her this. He says, tell me, what do you have in your house? And she says, your servant has nothing there at all, she said, except a little oil. She's coming thinking that she can fix her situation if she could get more. See, that's what we believe. We need more. Th- things would be fine in my life if I had more. God, if you'd give me more, it would be great. See, see God, sometimes, I, I think we're, we're doing this a lot of times. We're saying, God, you know, if you'll give me more, then I'm going to dedicate it to you and give it to you. The problem is God wants us to look at what we have and learn how to manage what we have. It's not just about getting more. Elisha points her not to the possibility of getting more. Elisha points her to what was already in her house. What she already had that she can make use of. And guys, here's the truth of that. If you're going to get out of a financial hole, it's not necessarily going to start with all of a sudden the windows of heaven opening up and you being blessed with something extra. It's going to start in the realm of what you already have by you managing what you already have in the right way. And she tells him, all I've got is just a little bit of oil. See, that reminds me of the way we are in America. America. We whine about things in America. Only in America do we say we don't really have anything. Oh, I don't have anything. And yet probably everyone here slept in a house last night with a roof over your head. Most of you slept in air-conditioned homes last night. We'll whine in America and say, but I I don't really have anything. And yet last night, uh, many of you, your car also spent the night in its house last night. Some of you in America, will go to the refrigerator and we'll open the door and act like, oh, there's nothing there. And there are people across this world that would love to get at what you've got in your refrigerator. We'll go into our closets or walk-in closets and look and act like, oh, I don't really have anything to wear. And the truth of the matter is, if everything you own fell on top of you, it would take us eight days to find your body. Some of you ladies who don't think you have enough shoes to wear, if all of your shoes fell over on top of you, we would never find your body, and we'd just do the eulogy right there and leave you buried wherever. <laughs> Guys, that's, I, I, you, you know I'm joking with you, but that's honest the way we are in America. We try and act like we don't have anything in America. I don't have anything. Well, yet in America, we spend $12 billion a year on storage units. Oh, we don't have anything, but we spend $12 billion a year on storage units. We spend $40 billion a year on our pets. I, I didn't realize this, and I heard somebody talking about it the other day. Do you realize you can buy antidepressant medicine for your dog? <laughs> oh, my dog's not acting Right. My dog might be ADD or something. They put medicine on your dog. You spend money on your dog for that kind of medicine. We don't have anything in America, but we can spend that kind of money in America. And we act like we just don't have anything. You see, in America, we've got this attitude. God don't mess with what I have. But if you'll give me something more, I'll worship you with that. And God's looking down at us, and he's saying, I'm not that dumb. I'm not that stupid. Because you see, guys, it falls back to us managing correctly what we have. Look what Jesus said here. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in in the handling of wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own. Basically, Jesus is saying this, manage what you have. Manage right what you have. It's not about us getting more. If you're in a financial hole, it's about us learning to manage what we have and not expecting God to give us more. This lady come to the prophet and say, I need you to fix this. What did Elisha do? He said, look what you've already got your house. Look what you have last question i want us to look at is this am i willing to surrender everything we were singing about it with everything am i willing to surrender everything see that's really what this is about it's not just about your finances it's about you lock stock and barrel surrendering yourself to jesus christ who loved and cared for you enough that he was crucified and bled and died so you can have everlasting life by trusting in him. Look what I said in verse 3 through 6 to start with. We'll get to verse 7 in a moment. Elisha told the lady this, Go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into all the jars, and as each is filled, put it to one side. She left him, and afterwards shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her, and she kept pouring. And when all the jars were full, she said to her son, Bring me another one. But he replied, There's not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. Now get the picture here. She decided to believe what the prophet told her and to entrust what little bit it was she had to God. She believes enough to take the little bit of oil. She said, I've only got a little bit of oil. She believes what the prophet told her enough to take that little bit of oil and start pouring. By the way, she's pouring into vessels that didn't belong to her. You now that's a lesson for us to learn. We always want to pour into our own vessel a lot of times. She's poured into vessels that did not belong to her. And she pours, and she pours, and she pours until it is all full. And ultimately what happens is God performed a miracle here to where she is able to sell it, pay off her debt, and have money to live on afterwards. Now here's a picture I want you to get from that. You might be thinking, all I've got is a little bit of oil. Well, what you need to do is be willing to dedicate that little bit of oil and believe God to take care of you. She poured what little bit of oil she had, and God blessed her. And some of you might be thinking, but you don't understand. I, I just got a little bit of oil. I, I've only got a little bit of money. What we need to do, guys, is learn to trust God with a little bit that we have, and God can take the little bit that we have and turn it into a blessing that blesses us and other people. We just have to be willing to believe Him and trust Him with what it is that we have. See, I want you to understand this. God can do more with the 90% If you're given 10%, God can do more with 90% in your life than you can do with 100% in your life. You do realize that, don't you? I mean, here's what I'm saying. If you think you can manage money better than God, you're crazy. So by you entrusting Him with what it is you're given, you can also trust Him to take the rest of it that he's allowed you to keep because all of it's his to start with, and he can use that to the degree that you need in your life to bless you. So how do we do that? How, how, do, we, how do we say, I, I, I'm, I'm willing to dedicate everything to God? Here's, here's, where the, here's where the fertilizer hits the fan. I'll be kind in how I say that. Dirty word, tithing. Lynn talked about it some. What's tithing? It, it, 10%. That's what tithing means. Now, people would give all kinds of different arguments about tithing. Some would say, oh, that's Old Testament law. To be honest with you, you can find tithing in the Bible before the law was ever in existence. You can find tithing in Genesis before the law ever came about. So it is pre-law. So tithing is not just the law. And here's the second answer I give to people that want to say, oh, well, tithing 10%, that's Old Testament law. Guys, here's just the way I look at it, and I think it's logical. If you think it's illogical, I'm sorry, but I think this is just logical. Should we on this side of the cross, should we not love Jesus more than people on the front side of the cross? On this side of the cross, having seen and known that Jesus died for our sins, took his life back up, so through faith in him we can have everlasting life, should we not love him more than the people that were still looking forward for that to happen one day? It's just logical to me we ought to love him more on this side of the cross. Now some people have other kinds of excuses about, you know, why they can't do it, why they can't tithe. Some people say, well, I do tithe, I do give, I just don't give it to the church. Well, you see, here's the problem with that. The Bible that talks about tithe and where the concept came from, this Bible is about Jesus and his bride, the church, and this Bible says to bring it into the storehouse, so it's talking about the tithe being brought to the church because that's what this book is about, Jesus and his bride. You know, some people say, well, I do, but I just, listen, God doesn't tell you here, we give to this civic organization and let it be your tithe. Or that civic organization, let it or this benevolent organization, let it be your tithe. You can give to them, but that's not to be your tithe. The tithe is in this Bible. This Bible is about Jesus and his church. That's what it's about. Some people use other excuses. I've had people before, I think, have this mentality. Well, 10%. I, I make way too much to give 10%. Now, see, here's the deal with that. Ten percent is the same ratio for someone making $10,000 as it is for someone bringing in a million dollars a year. Same percentage. Same percentage basis. But I make way too much money. You don't understand. It would just be too much money. I make too much to be able to give ten percent. Well, here's maybe what I ought to do for you then. Maybe I ought to pray that God reduces your income down to the point that you can once again trust God with your finances. Some of you, that's still going over your head. (laughs) I just said, I'm going to pray that you go broke so you have to trust God. We'll come up with all kinds of excuses about it as to why we can't do it. Some people use this excuse. Well, I just can't make that kind of commitment to where I can commit to do it all the time. Listen, you can make a commitment for five years to pay for your car. You can make a commitment for 30 years to pay for your house. Surely you can make a commitment to the God who loved you enough to put His Son on the cross to be able to give to Him. Because we do make commitments. And you do have financial commitments. Second part of it is offerings. And I'm not going to say a lot about offerings except it's this. Offerings is anything above 10%. Anything beyond that. God, you know, God tell you to give an offering in some special way. You'll give it to send somebody on a mission trip. You take a mission trip, whatever. God tells you to give an offering. Then be willing to give an offering. You guys, here's what God says in the Bible in Malachi 3.10. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house, God's house, test me in this, give him a trial, he says, just try me out, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you'll not have room enough for it. The woman only had a little oil, but she believed enough to do what she was told, to make a commitment with a little oil. And God used it to bless her and used it to go beyond even meeting her needs. Really what this stuff about giving boils down to, it's a love issue. That's what it is. It's a love issue. The Bible says this, no one can serve two masters. Jesus is talking. Either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. See, the reason I like the NIV here is this. The old King James said God and mammon. People thought, I don't know what mammon is, so I'm cool. Here's what it is. It's money. You can't let two different things rule over you. You need to let Jesus be the one that's ruling over you. And it comes down to a heart issue. Do you love God more or do you love your pocketbook more? Do you love Jesus more because he paid for your sins on the cross? Or do you love your toys more? What do you love the most? It's a love issue. The lady, after she received this blessing in verse 7, here's what happened at the end of the story. She went and told the man of God. I mean, to me, it's almost like she does this. All right, I better get it right this time. God's blessed me. Elisha, what do I do with this? What what do I need to do with this? We we were messed up before. My husband left us in a bad situation, but now God's blessed me. So so what do I do with this? She comes to Elisha and asks what to do with it. And he said, go sell the oil, pay your debts, you and your sons, and live off what is left. All she had was a little bit of oil. Instead of a, she, I think she came to Elijah thinking, oh, the prophets need to take up an offering for me and need to take care of this situation. They're coming after my sons. They're going to make them slaves. Instead, Elisha said, what do you have already in your house? I want to teach you a lesson to manage what you have. Focus what, on, upon, on what you already have in your home. And when she did what Elisha told her, God blessed her. And took care of her needs. So, what do we need to do today? I've got a warning for you. We're about to sing the song with everything again. How are you going to sing it this time? I mean, are you going to sing it really from the, from the mindset of saying, God with everything. God this too. God with everything, with all that I am. Is that the way we're going to sing it? Because, guys, here's the deal. God loved you so much he sent his son and put his son on a cross for you. Surely, to goodness, if God would put his son on a cross for us, surely we can commit to give 10% to him. So in just a minute, as we sing a reprise as an invitational this morning of with all that I am, with everything... Will you be able to sing it and really mean it? God, with everything, with all that I am, God, with everything, I'm yours. You may be wondering, well, what really needs to happen now in your own life? You may be asking yourself, well, you know, how do I I deal with this message? What am I supposed to do? Paul said that, that God gave us an unspeakable gift. Look here at this, uh, at this verse. He may have to back up to get it. It says, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Some people think that Paul was talking about an offering that had been taken up. I actually think Paul was talking about the indescribable gift of Jesus. Thanks be to God for his un- indescribable gift. In other words, if, if God, if you did that, God, if you did that for us, we ought to, we ought to at least give. We ought to be willing to serve. Last week, we had a table set up, and it's out there today also, out here in our lobby. And if you are not involved in some type of service role or capacity in this church, I've got news for you. God wants to use every one of us in some capacity. And when we're through in a few minutes, you can go out there to that table, and it's not only with everything, talking about your money, it's also with everything, your time, with everything, your gifts, with everything, your abilities allowing God to take you as He has made you and use you. So what should you do now? Some of you have never came to Christ as your Savior to begin with. And right now you don't know that you have everlasting life. And some people almost think, well, how in the world can you know that? See, some people think, "Well, I have to wait till I die to find out if I do." If you wait till then and you find out it's bad news, it's too late to do anything about it. I had a lady this week. I'm just going to put her on the spot, Tammy. If you would just come here instead of doing it in just a minute, but Tammy had wrestled with whether or not she knew for sure, and then she came and we talked some on Tuesday, and now Tammy knows for sure. Amen. Amen.
0: All okay. you gotta do is okay. ask him to come into your heart and forgive so he you of sin. And that's the promise he's made you, and you just gotta trust his word in faith, and
1: you're going to heaven. So you you depend upon his word, not your emotions, not how you right. feel about things. Thank you, Timmy. So you may be someone here that's wrestled with that, and you don't know for sure. What you need to do today is receive the indescribable gift that God has for you, and that's eternal salvation through Jesus. Some of you may be here and you've already done that, but you've never done this. You've never been scripturally baptized because Jesus also tells us to do this. It's a picture of the old person being gone and a new person alive. And you might have come this morning thinking, well, "I didn't plan. I didn't bring a change of clothes or anything else." We'll get you as dry as we can. If God tells you you need to be baptized, we'll get you as dry as we can before you leave. It's raining outside. You're going to be wet anyway. Some of you need to come probably as the band plays and apologize to God because you've not trusted Him. Or because you have let your finances spin so much out of control that you just feel like you can't give or you can't tithe. And if that's where you are, I believe God wants to help you if you'll admit to Him that you need the help and you're sorry that you've not trusted Him with your finances. A lot of you, I think, need to pull out that little card and sign up for this Saturday morning. And before you leave, drop it in these pedestals back here so we'll know how to plan and how many people's coming. You need to sign up and come for the helps that we want to give you free of charge. We don't want anything from you. We're not going to try and sell you anything that morning. Daryl's not going to be trying to sell you some type of book or some type of get-rich scheme. He's there to help you. And some of you need to fill that out, drop it in, and come this Saturday. Let's pray. Father. Lord, help us right now just to be transparent with you. God, I so wished that in my youth I had the opportunity that we're trying to give some people right now this coming Saturday. God, I wish I'd had someone to show me how to manage finances and how to do it right. God, I wish I'd spent more time in tune to you than I did in tune to my own wants and desires many times in, in making purchases or using a credit card. God, I feel like there's many here today that's feeling the same thing. So, Father, we, we pray, God, that you just help us to trust you. Lord, if there's someone here that does not know you as Savior, please speak to their heart. Please draw them to you this morning. Help them to receive the indescribable gift of Jesus. God, help those of us that know him to be willing to invest in your kingdom, invest in your work. With our money, but not just with our money. God, also with our time and our talents, our abilities that you've given us. We ask this in the name of Christ. Amen. Darrell will be up here if someone does want to be baptized, you can go to him. If someone's here and you want to ask some questions about what it means to trust in Christ, then we invite you to come up here to us. We'd love to try and share with you more about what that means. This is also a private time between you and God because, you see, you know where you are. So I I don't. I, I don't go through the giving record and see who all gives and who doesn't. I don't. But you know where you are before God. And he knows where you are. And maybe you need to do some business this morning and say, God, help me. I need help financially. God, help me focus on what I have to manage it better. God, I I want you to use my money and my time and my talents. God, I want to give those because I believe in you and who you are. Lynn kind of alluded to this. You know why I give what I give here at this church? I don't give it because I have to, because I'm the pastor. I give it because I believe in what God is doing here. I am 54 years old. God has blessed us to baptize 54 people this year. I've never had that happen, to baptize as many people as I am years old. If I could, I'd probably bankrupt myself trying to finance that. Seeing some of these young people come to Christ, some of these skateboarders, some of these on bicycles, just some of our regular youth, some adults coming in with junk in their life. I, guys, I just believe in what God's doing here, and I, I, I want to be part of it. And I hope that's where you are. God speaks to your heart. Please come as we sing.
0: You are listening to sermon audio from Day Three Church. If you have any questions about God, faith, or our church, email us at at info@daythreechurch.com. And for more information, find us on the web at daythreechurch.com.